You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Bonjour, everyone. Bonjour, Adam. Hello. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see you again after the five second break we just had there. <laughs> Don't spoil the magic of making the podcast. <laughs> it's fresh and exciting. Mm. So today's uh, episode centers around the adventure of the cheap flat. And we're delighted to announce that we have a lovely guest on. Jason DeFilippo from Grumpy Old Geeks will be joining us later to talk about that episode. Very fun conversation, and he's a great guest, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. He loves Poirot. He has tried to steal my role on this podcast multiple times. Uh, so we thought it was time mm. to have a face-to-face showdown so that um, I can destroy him. And yeah, we'll see if I succeed and people listen <laughs> to the message. Only joking. Obviously, Jason's really nice and, you know, a very good guest <laughs> and he's very probably better at this than I am. So whatever. Um, but never mind. I, I feel like I feel like Caesar, you know, sat above the gladiatorial arena. <laughs> just going like this. <laughs> between you both. <laughs> yep. <laughs> thumbs up and down. Not to, sp- again, spoil the magic further. We have recorded our interview with Jason. I'm editing it at the moment. And there is a part mm. where you say that Jason can have my spot. So thumbs down. <laughs> Big thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> For, uh, spoiler alert. I, I, I was joking. I wouldn't do this podcast with anyone but Frankie. Aww. But it was absolutely delightful to have Jason. It was. He was a bit of a dynamo. You'll hear him later. He, he was fantastic. He so really thanks, was. Jason, in advance for coming on the show. Right. Do we have any messages from people? We sure do. We've got quite a few, actually. Mm. So get comfy because I'm going to read you okay. some lovely messages. Uh, we will start <laughs> with an email from Chris. And the subject line is, love the podcast, which is my kind of subject line. Good job, Chris. Instantly going to open that email. (laughs) He says, thank you for making such an entertaining (laughs) podcast. My wife has always been a fan of Agatha Christie, and we both love watching Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot on television over the years. I almost stumbled over Hercule Poirot. That doesn't, that's not good. Maybe you should get Jason to do this podcast. (laughs) Jason, you're in. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I heard about your podcast through a mention on another podcast that I enjoy very much in your network, Triviality hmm. Airways. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, there is a there is an ad we did, isn't there? Yeah. Remember, we did like a 30 second ad and they sh- they slam it on all kinds of shows. So, yeah. And someone listened to that and thought, that. I will what? listen to your show. They heard us. I'm really impressed that someone listened to an ad all the way through and went, yeah. yes, please. <laughs> I've never done that. They don't sound intensely irritating or anything like that. I'll just, I'll go listen. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. He says, we've also started watching Jonathan Creek based on your mention. We have seen Alan Davis and several other shows on BritBox. So it was fun to see a younger version of himself in this show. The thing I don't understand is that it keeps showing guys 
walking up behind women and putting a hand down the woman's shirt. <laughs> Is that a thing that Does people it? do? In the early episodes, and I think it's the magician guy that he works with. His name is in my mind. Oh, yeah. The he is quite gropey. Some- it's, it's Adam someone, isn't it? Adam, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, mm-hmm, we're all like that. No, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> but... but- yeah, it was a different. It was a different time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've completely forgotten about all the sex pestery. In and in, in his defence, that character, I think it is consensual. I don't think he just does it to strangers. I can't remember. Maybe he does. I hope he doesn't. In his defence, did you actually start? <laughs> <laughs> Never take this out of context. And he said, "I wow. guess this was before the me for before me too." And issues with consent were more prominent. So yes, I think you're right. Mm. He said, speaking of Poirot, I'm right. really enjoying going back and re-watching each episode in anticipation of your discussion. As soon as I begin to recall the details, the resolution usually comes to mind, but I'm still enjoying watching it as it reminds me of how much fun my wife and I have had sharing this experience through the last 20 years together. How nice is that? Oh, lovely. And happy 20 years. Happy 20 years. And I agree. This bit's my favourite. I agree with your position on the Kenneth Branagh version. Good. He tries to make make Hercule someone he's not, which takes away from the impact of his little grey cells in solving the mystery. Looking forward to Podathan Creek. Keep up the great work. And that's Chris from LA, California. Ooh. International. Ooh, I was there in February. If only I'd known. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much, Chris. That, that's amazing. And yeah, um, thank you very much. I, I, I do totally agree with the whole Kenneth Branner. Angle. And why are you trying to make me watch it all the time? Yeah, just for just, you know, <laughs> just for to the ruin my life. It, the pure sadism. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't actually seen it, have you? you just and I never will. This opinion on no, but I mean, I think you should watch it. Just you know, I've seen just, enough. Just so you can say that. <laughs> okay, it is a weird way to. It's, you can tell that Studio Bods were in the pitch meeting and went. So this guy doesn't really do much. What he just thinks his way through the crimes. Oh, can we have him like sword fighting and? What's with the moustache and all that kind of yeah. rubbish? And you can tell old Ken had to you know, drastically rewrite the character in order to get it made. You see, I think, and this is pure speculation, that Kenneth Branagh basically barged into the studio and was like, this is how I'm doing Poirot. And they were going, no, Kenneth, stop, please. And he was going, nope, I'm going to make it <laughs> as ridiculous as possible. And I'm going to have the stupidest moustache and I'm going to ruin everything that Agatha Christie has built in th- almost three films now. So, yeah, that's mm. my theory anyway. Yeah, it's Halloween parties next one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's not though it's kind of like he's he's making things up and taking bits from there he's cherry picking and bleh, bleh. yeah it's not mm. exactly Halloween party and also I mean we're going to talk about it way further down the line the best Halloween party adaptation is the lovely one that Mark, Mark Gatiss wrote that's the best one so mm. stop it mm. yeah. don't do that go away Kenneth Branagh anyway Let's, read about, let's talk about something nice. Aggressively pointing at the screen. I really oh, am. Uh, let's talk about a really lovely email that we had from Rachel. And the subject line, again, you guys, you're really killing it with the subject lines, is what a true delight. Nice. Assuming that's about us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's describing her email client. <laughs> oh, Outlook. I've never used just... Outlook before. <laughs> what a wow. delight. Uh, dear Adam and Frankie, about a month ago, someone recommended your podcast in an online forum of copy editors I belong to. We've made it. Frankie. We've hit the copy editor market. <laughs> they found us. Well, if, uh, they always say if you crack the copy editor market, you know, Hollywood yeah. comes next, basically. <laughs> that's how it works. That's the hierarchy. Wow. So that's exciting. That's cool. I was thrilled since I've loved, mm. that, loved Agatha Christie books and short stories since I was a preteen 
and I've already watched a lot of Agatha Christie's Poirot. At times I felt like I was one of the few people my age who loved watching the series and it's been so affirming to hear of other Poirot fans, including a previous listener who also grew up in Vermont. To be honest, I was hoping I I was the only listener from Vermont, which given our population of well under a million people seemed fairly likely. The Labours of Hercule has given me an excuse to watch and rewatch Poirot before I listen to the accompanying podcast. Both of you are so charming, witty and at times silly, which makes us a great podcast to listen to when I'm crafting, taking a walk or feeling a bit down. Oh, that's very nice. It I is. can't believe your mum wrote that. <laughs> My mum would never write anything that nice about me. <laughs> so, absolutely not. When Poirot and Miss Marple enter the public domain, are you excited to read other authors' takes on the characters? Are there any modern authors you'd like to see writer Marple or Poirot or Tommy Tuppence, Harley Quinn, Parker Pine, etc. novel? If either of you were ever in Vermont, I would be happy to show you around and take you out for some apple cider donuts, one of the state's specialties. Thanks for the podcast. Uh, yeah, I want a donut, please. Let's do that. Yeah, I'll have the apple cider as well. <laughs> Just drink, all good. You're drinking what they fried it in, <laughs> just necking the oil and batter. <laughs> yeah, fair. That's me. Waste not, want not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What do you think about modern takes on Poirot and Marvel? I mean, we've just discussed <laughs> one that didn't go too well. Well, Sophie Hanna has been writing the new Poirot books for quite a while now. And I actually quite like mm. those. I've been enjoying them. I don't consider them canon as such, but I like what she's done and the approach that she's taken where she's gone back to before the early Poirot years, before the Whitehaven mm. Four and all of that. And she's very kept, she's kept very true to the character. You can tell that she loves Poirot and is staying true to it. Uh, there's also been um, a compilation that came out uh, last year, I believe it was, of Marple short stories written by different authors, which is also really good. Lots of crime yeah. writers, like people like Lucy Foley and Ellie Griffiths uh, and people, and those have been really good as well. So I think there's some really good stuff coming out. But, and the key, Kenneth, is that you do it with as a love letter to the character and you stay true to the essence of it. And that's how you do it right. So in terms of authors, I'd like to okay. see write them. I don't know, really. What do you think? I think um, I would definitely, definitely read uh, an Anthony Horowitz take on, like, and, you know, another yes. Poirot book by Anthony Horowitz because he's so embedded with the, the character. And, the, and yes. you know, he did such great work on the series that I completely trust him to do a good job. And he did a great work on Sherlock Holmes books and things and the Bond books that he's been involved yeah. with as well. So he yeah, exactly. He seems to completely be able to mimic the, the style and the spirit yes. by the original authors. So I, I would completely trust him to do a good job. I've always said that I think you could make a really good series based on Marple as a girl, like a young girl. Yes. Maybe in a girl's school or something, solving crimes as like a, a teenager. I think that would be fantastic. Mm, and I, I, it wouldn't have to be period either. It could be a young Jane Marple in you know modern day. Yeah, really texting, cool. doing TikTok dances, and like yeah, like, like Midsummer <laughs> Murders, but um, with you know a thirteen-year-old detective girl. I like that. Part of it. That would be cool. Yeah, I don't know who would direct it or write it. You should write it. I actually have a detective story in my head that's um. It's sort of similar to that. Um, You've told yeah, me before. Get it down on paper. Yes, you should. Mm. Yes, you should. Yeah, <laughs> and so should you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to well, write down your detective story. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> the next email we have is from Christopher. Again, another cracking subject line, Poirot Perfection. And he says, 
Dear Adam and Frankie, greetings from sunny South Africa, though it's raining right now. What an international bunch today. I know. I think the, the, the tour is really hotting up in terms of travel plans. Yeah. It's very exciting. Uh, he says, my friend and colleague Amazing. Eugene wrote you a while back. And I was so envious that you read his letter that I had to send you something as well. So I hope this helps to make you feel better, Christopher. (laughs) He says, thank you for bringing back the wonders of Hercule Poirot. I've been listening to Adam's other shows for a number of years, starting with The Secret History of Hollywood. Shadows blew my mind and I'm dying to know what happens in Carrie Part 3. It's coming soon, uh, right? Yeah, in in the... In the midst of producing that, I just released a like a forty minute chunk onto Patreon. So it's very good, quite well received, I think. So yeah, the rest yeah. is coming soon. Cheers! Thank I you. listened to it. I liked it very much. <laughs> Thank you. Incidentally, just as I rediscovered the Poirot last year, the Poirot, <laughs> this podcast popped up on my Spotify yes. recommendations. So that's nice, isn't it? The system works. Uh, yeah. I had just spent several weeks binging the whole series, and it was a complete joy to have even more Poirot while driving to work. The Poirot theme music lives rent-free in my head, already full of music as I'm a singer. Frankie, excellent call having that as your wedding processional. Thanks, Christopher. I Yeah, and <laughs> Christopher Gunning recently, the, the genius composer behind it, recently passed away. So I feel extra happy he and did, proud yeah. to have that memory always with that beautiful, beautiful music. Yeah. I grew up watching the show with my parents and my dad would always try and get me and my brother to figure out the mystery as we went along. Thank you for continuing the good work. Take care of the little grey cells. Au revoir, mes amis. And that was from Chris. Oh, thanks, Chris. What a what a legend. What a lovely, lovely email. Uh, so then we also had some really lovely messages on our social channels. Uh, and if you want to send in uh-huh. a lovely message on our social channels, you can do so by following us at Labours of Hercule on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, send us them in because we love to read them. And we mm. got this message really made me laugh, right? So this is from Carrie. <laughs> And this was when we released the last episode we did. What was the last episode we did? <laughs> Can't remember. Now. Double sin. Double sin. Double sin. Which was an especially silly episode. We were in a bit of a funny mood <laughs> for that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we always have fun. <laughs> Carrie said, "Oh my good gosh! I listened to your latest episode on two times speed. I knew I drank a lot of coffee yesterday, but you two were so funny." <laughs> And listening to your laughter, I joined along. Of course, because of the speed, for a second, I thought you guys were on mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We weren't, sadly. Uh, It was just very, very silly. Well, you weren't. (laughs) Oh, share the wealth. Unbelievable. And she said, and as always, love the podcast and keep doing what you're doing. Maybe just a warning to listeners to keep the speed at playback of one times. And that's from Carrie from Canada. Point five. Well, yeah. yeah nice. Thanks, Carrie. Slow it down so you can savour it more. <laughs> Get more for your money. It'd sound like Pink Floyd if we did that. <laughs> <laughs> Another really lovely message that we had. This is from The Land of Ruse and Honey. Mm. <laughs> she says, just adore this pod. I live in a very small town in the Northern Territory of Australia. So we're off to Australia as well. Crikey. Struth. <laughs> really are all over the flaming galah world. <laughs> I drive to Darwin frequently, a mere three hour hike up the road, and love listening to this podcast. I drive past massive termite mounds, romantic couples of brologas, brologas, brogas. I don't know what that is. I'm learning. Hidden waterfalls and basking buffalo on my journeys. How cool is that? 
I'm frequently accompanied by my wildlife rescues, most recently Rollo and Twixie, little male and female agile rock wallaby joeys. And they are so... Sounds like Swindon. She sent pictures of them in their little pouches. Oh, wow. In the car. Oh, my goodness. Little wallabies. So they listen to our podcast too. So we've made the... We've broken the wallaby market. As well as the copy editors. <laughs> wow. Wallaby and copy editors in one fell swoop. We're taking over the wow. world. We've done it. We've done it. <laughs> she said, in this pic, we are enjoying the first series and trying to figure out who done it on Triangle at Rhodes. I have a permanent grin on my face whilst driving and listening to you two carry on. It is fabulously funny and utterly flamboyant. So thank you. Thank you. Thank- and thanks for the pictures of the Joeys. They are so cute. That's, yeah, it really is like another world down there because I don't know what half those words were. I don't know what these things are. I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you know, we're, we're being educated as we travel. That's it on our tour. As we de- just destroy our livers on our breakfast pints and uh, travel the world. <laughs> Last message. What a way to go. Uh, this one came in from Vicky on our Twitter account. And she said, and this is an interesting one. So she says, Hello, both. Long time listener, first time caller. My husband and I love the podcast. In honor of today being Asexual Visibility Day, I had to ask a question that's been on my mind since I first started listening. Poirot is one of the characters um, who I've always claimed as an ace rep, as he seems constantly bemused by Hastings' feminine attractions. And while he loves romance and can be a proper little matchmaker, his own interests seem decidedly non-sexual. I'm classing the stuff with the Duchess. I think she means the Countess. Um, as romantic mm, Rosikoff. Yeah. yeah it always surprises me that you guys are so thirsty for David Suchet's Poirot because I don't see him that way at all I was wondering what you th- <laughs> you thought of the Whitehaven 4 as a queer collective and if I'm the only one whose ace star goes off for Poirot I can't wait to hear more from the podcast I love it so much and that's from Vicky so Vicky just to say I am fully aware that my lust for Poirot uh, it would be entirely one-sided I, he would have no interest in me whatsoever. Uh, and I fully accept that, but I can't help how I feel about him and, you know, what he puts out there. You know, it's just pure <laughs> magnetism. So I would be 100% expecting to be shot down by Poirot multiple, multiple times. So <laughs> that's, that, that explains that. I don't know if, that, if you feel the same way about that, Adam. <laughs> oh, of course, yes. yes. Um, Poirot is definitely asexual. Yes. Yeah. He, you can't imagine him ever sort of, don't think he would ever embrace the chaos of sex itself. No, it's too messy. Um, because it's just, just without order. So, um, yeah. yeah. And I've never ever thought, even with his scenes with Countess Vera, that you know he wants to take it further. I no. think he just admires beautiful things. Um, he's drawn to certain personalities. He's a very romantic person. Yes. But I think that's as far as it goes. But Hastings, I don't get queer vibes at all. No. I don't, I don't think it's weird. Unless he's like, you know, unless he's sort of, uh, what's the word, compensating in some way. Yeah. <laughs> um, Miss Lemon, crikey. Um, Possibly. go by the way, I think. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Jack, and Jack, no. I think he's he's too, he's too, I don't know what the word, he's too, uh, he's too meat and potatoes, I think, <laughs> to even consider it. Meat and veg. outside society norm. <laughs> but yeah, interesting point. I think Poirot, I think Poirot is famously, famously supposed to be asexual, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's the reading most people get. Yeah, he is definitely a romantic and I think he definitely forms strong bonds with people and strong feelings in relationships with people because he's a very caring, loving man. So I think even with the Countess, 
I think it was for him, he wanted to save her, I think. And I think he wanted to save her from this life of crime. And he was a real, he has a fondness for people. And if you're in, if you, if Poirot likes you, then I think you're, you're in for life. You're in the inner circle and you're, he's always going to have that, that warmth and, and that admiration for you. But it's definitely not sexual. Hastings, uh, mm. he, he's, he loves the ladies too much, I think. Uh, and I think anything else would probably make him frightfully uncomfortable. Miss Lemon, I think definitely could be, you know, I think she's an open-minded modern woman. So she could, you know, be very happy for her to have lots of fun with everybody because why the hell not? <laughs> and, but yeah, really great, really good message, Vicky. Thank you for that. Yeah, we're, we're on the same page. It's just, yeah, I know that, I know Poirot wouldn't want me. I've accepted that and um, I'm trying to yeah move on from it, but it's tough to come to terms with. Mm. If, any, if anyone else out there <clears throat> wears spats and uh, fancies Frankie, then do get in touch at uh, bonjour at thelabourshercule.com. <laughs> exactly that. If you're willing to, to dress that way and be that way and have no interest in me whatsoever, then that's perfect. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm looking for. <laughs> but I already have a husband for that, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for your, for your messages, everyone. It's worth quickly saying... Frankie is about to launch a competition on our socials. So, yes. um, do you want to give give everyone a, a couple more details? Yeah. So, I saw that uh, the Agatha Christie estate uh, has released a new collection of uh, stories, and it's for spring. It's called Sinister Spring, and it's a beautiful hardback edition. We've got some gold foil mm. on there. We've got lovely springy colours. It feels very fitting for the uh, the Easter weekend that we're currently in as we record this on Good Friday. Uh, so I'm going to run it on our Twitter and Instagram account. So you have two chances to win a copy. All you have to do is follow us and uh, retweet the post that will be on the account. So please do. And if you want to share it with your friends and invite them to do the same, then, you know, all the better. But... We like to do little competitions every now and then because uh, there's some cool Agatha Christie stuff we want to share with you. And yeah, it's a bit of fun. So please do enter. Please do share it. And uh, good luck. Mm, I feel like a radio pretty- person saying that. Like <laughs> <laughs> like a disc jockey. You're really nailing that smashy and nicey <laughs> exactly. vibe. <laughs> Thanks very much. So. Anyway, cool. Should we get on with the episode? We have a guest about to join us and yes. um, we're off on an adventure. The adventure of the cheap flat. In this economy? <laughs> I know. To think of the right analogy to put in here. It's got to be some, some kind of but will the adventure turn out to be a fixer-upper or just plain flat <laughs> or something? Oh, or I see what you did there. Or you know negative I mean? equity. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. <clears throat> let's, just, let's just do the effort. Let's just get into it, I reckon. Okay, cool. cool. Let's go gazumping. <laughs> well, we're in the adventure of the cheap flat and joining us for this episode... Thankfully, is Mr. Jason DiFilippo of the Grumpy Old Geek Show. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, hello, hello. I'm doing well. I am the token American <laughs> for this Americanized episode. It is, we were saying this last night. We, um, we were chatting over text because I rewatched this episode twice yesterday. And I have many thoughts, but we'll get to those. But one of the things that jumped out at me was this was the perfect episode to have you on because, um, as you say, very American-centric. What do you think? Yeah, when you sent me the list of options, I'm like, I have to, I have to do this one. I have to represent. I have to. <laughs> You're our agent, to, I, Bert. Yes, yeah, so I have some, I have some issues with agent <laughs> Bert, but uh, yeah, no, I figured this would be, this would be the perfect one. And uh, yeah, this is a strange episode. So 
I, I, I also watched right, it yeah. yesterday again, and I'd seen it before, and I listened to the uh, I listened to the audiobook of the actual story from you know the 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 written story, not the fictionalized TV version, you know, <laughs> the fictionalized the historically one. accurate version. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the documentary. Yeah, yeah. The biopic. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> of Agent Bird. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can be the the uh, should we say the the nice face of America then? Because Agent Bird. Well, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. Yes. But um, yes. for those of you who don't know, Jason, Jason, do you want to introduce yourself and let people know who you are and what you do? Oh, I'm Jason DeFilippo. I am the host of the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, or co-host, as it were. I'm guessing my co-host would be upset if I just said I was the host. But <laughs> Take sole credit. <laughs> They'll never know. Yeah. But uh, I have been a Poirot fan for, I can't even remember how long. I When I was a kid, I grew up in Texas in the summers. And I don't know if you've ever been to Texas in the summer, but you can't go outside. So mm. I started off reading a lot when I was a young teenager. And I read the one summer... I read the entirety of uh, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I read everything ever written by Conan Doyle on Sherlock Holmes. And then the next year, I needed something to do, and I discovered Poirot. And I read everything mm. Poirot that next summer. And then when the TV show came out, I was just – I'm like, this is my guy. Like the Jeremy <laughs> Brett Sherlock Holmes, I was in. I'd like seen so many different Sherlock Holmes. I'm like, okay, Jeremy Brett's my guy. Now David Suchet is my Poirot. And I have been such a fan. And when I saw you guys were doing this show, I was just like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm just giddy. <laughs> giddy. You didn't just you didn't just say, oh, I can't wait. You were at first – let's be honest, Jason, and let's just let's address the elephant in the room here. You uh, were furious that – you didn't have a spot on it, and that I was brought in instead, weren't you, Jason? Admit it. There may have been a little jealousy at play there. Yes, I, I, I admit it. I admit it. I did tweet it, so it, it has it. It is. It's out there. People can people can it's find it. I'll own that. Yes, yes, I'll own that. <laughs> well, well, you're very welcome to the show, and and please, please do do feel free to come back from time to time and um, indulge your love of Poirot. I have to ask quickly. <laughs> Seeing as yes. how you've read all of the stories of Sherlock Holmes and Poirot, honest truth, not just because you're on a Poirot podcast, which stories do you think, in the written word, stand up better, Sherlock Holmes or Poirot? That's a tough one because it kind of depends on the mood. Um, <laughs> I, I, If I had to go back and reread them, I go back to Poirot. I don't go back mm -hmm. to Holmes. Um, That's interesting. The Holmes, yeah, the Holmes stories are... They're fun, but they're fairly dated, and they don't leave you enough clues really to solve any of the mysteries. And in, in at least a lot of the Poirots, there are enough clues. If you put your put your thinking cap on, you can actually at least get close to the mark. With Holmes, mm -hmm. you can't. So there's a lot of you're, you're thinking really hard trying to figure out the pieces. But there's this little bit where Holmes ran out in the middle of the night, changed his outfit, and played with the vagabonds all night and got the key to the story and the mystery that you don't find out about until the end. And it doesn't doesn't do you any good. At least with Poirot and Agatha Christie, there are most of the time you can actually, you know, figure it out. And I kind of like that satisfaction of being able to figure it out. So mm. I think I think that really is what brings me back to them. And may I ask, which of the Poirot stories is your favorite, all-time favorite? Which one do you recommend to people if they're new to it and you say, well, you have to read this one? Because it's, uh, it's See, one. That's, that's a difficult one for me because my favorite, the one that sticks with me the most is Curtain, which is obviously mm. the last one. <sighs> and <laughs> yes, I, I actually sat on the episode for... A couple of years, I couldn't watch it. I just could not bring myself mm. to watch it. Few people have said that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was, I was so surprised at how good it was and how it, how it, uh, you know, 
differentiated itself from the book and I thought it was I thought it was excellent but spoiler alert um yeah I, so I don't really have I try and stay away from telling people to check out the classics you know no murder on the orient express it's like that's those have been done to death and I just find this the shorter stories my favorites and I don't really put a label on any particular one to go to because I just mm. I, I'm like if you're going to read them read them all yeah, good yeah. advice. Especially the short stories. Yeah. There've been some great collections of the Poirot short stories. There, there's a, there's one out in the UK. I don't know if it's out in the US, but it's 50 short stories in one book, and it is one of the books that I've read probably the most in my life. <laughs> because you could just dip in and dip out because some of them are just two or three pages. Which of the TV series is your favorite episode? Favorite TV episode also goes back to Curtain. That's the one I keep thinking about wow. the most. Wow. It really, it really, mm. you know, it is impactful because incredible. it just brings back. All of the feelings that I've had for from the entire series, and it all just comes back, and it's just this nostalgia bomb that really, you know, brings the feels, brings all the feels. But you know, mm. to get to that point, you still have to watch them all. So it, it it's a you know a build up as it goes. That's a very good point. Mm. Yeah. You do have to if you come to it having been with Poirot on all his adventures, the the impact of the final episode does land a lot more, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's one of those episodes as well. When it was on TV, it was massive. It was like a big event, wasn't it? it? They were writing it out for weeks. It's the last one. Everyone knows what happens to Poirot in it. But do you know? Are you ready to watch this? And they were talking about maybe putting it into cinemas and everything over here. Mm. And it was on, and everyone sort of, sort of got to the TV in time, and they watched it. And then everyone the next day, the reaction was kind of like, "Why did we do that?" Why yeah. did we do that to ourselves? <laughs> we should have done it, done what Jason DeFilippo did and sat on it for a few years. They should have set up one of those right those phone lines, like when the Beatles um, broke up and take that broke up. They set up those phone lines for people to call up and yeah, get emotional support because I think the whole country, basically, or the whole world by the sound of things, went into collective mourning. Yeah. But it is, it is an incredibly powerful mm. episode. So good choice. Controversial choice, but a good choice nonetheless. Mm. I like to be controversial. It's good. <laughs> much like your counterpart, Agent Agent Burks. But uh, we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> so we're at the adventure of the cheap flat. Now I'm going to put my cards on the table straight away mm-hmm. because um, uh, you'll see why I'm not participating much as much in this conversation as I should. I've I've watched this a couple of times. Obviously, I've seen it a lot in the past. Um, I went back to it and really tried to study the mystery itself. And I kind of get it, but I think my garbage brain has really failed. I think your one. brain is absolutely fine. I just think there's, I mean, not to jump ahead again, there's not really much of a mystery for you to solve in this one. So <laughs> I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. Jason and I, were wait, when we were waiting for you to join, we had a, a similar conversation, didn't we, Jason? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, even in the short story, which, you know, is the, the show is loosely based on, even Hastings says... This is a strange one that I'm going to tell you because it's unlike anything else I've ever sh- told you before. And I'm like, yep, nailed that right out of the gate. Because yeah. halfway mm. through, I mean, if you just watch it, I think we're by the halfway point, Poirot just says, this is what happened. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, okay. You know, yeah. it's like, oh. I said in my notes, mm. even when we get to the denouement part, I put denouement, question mark, question mark, question mark. So I'm like, is, does this count as a denouement? I don't know if it does really. It's very, very mm. strange one. There's a lot of fun in it, which we will get to. Mm. That's what I was going to say. I really, I really do enjoy this episode. Yeah. I enjoy it a lot. Um, there's lo- lots to enjoy, it, especially for me, as we'll get to it. In a yes. But um, yeah, let's just go in straight away and say this is not your conventional Poirot episode. It's more like a 
more or sound like a spy thriller. It's a bit more yeah. Carrie than Christie, isn't it? Anyway, should we get into it? Yes. yes. Well, the Whitehaven Four, then. That's how mm. we usually start. Yeah. What are they up to this time? Yeah, well, with the Whitehaven Four, uh, it starts beautifully, this episode. They're at the cinema. We've got Jap, Hastings and Poirot are enjoying a little bit of cinema. And uh, there's a special, special little extra guest in, uh, in this one for you, Adam, in particular. I thought of you straight away. Mm. What are they watching, Adam? They're watching G-Men from 1935 with James Cagney and uh, Margaret Lindsay. And Anne Dvorak. And, um, yeah, it's one of my favourites, actually. It's a properly good little B-movie. And when uh, the... Well, they're watching the ending of the film with the big gunfight in the parking lot. And um, I love Poirot's face. <laughs> He's not a fan of the gunfire, shall we say. No. And I'm also going to use this no. moment to make Adam uncomfortable and say that uh, for anybody listening that uh, wants to know more about that kind of era and maybe James Cagney in particular, Adam has done a wonderful series on the secret history of Hollywood all about uh, James Cagney and Warner Brothers called Bullets in Blood. So you should go and listen to it right now. After this, listen to this first and then go listen to it. Thanks. You're welcome. Anyway, so that's what they're... <laughs> Horribly uncomfortable moment for Adam. <laughs> Very kind of you, thanks. So they're at the pictures watching James Cagney movies. Um, and it's worth noting that that theme of, uh, shall we say, American law enforcement yeah. just plays quite heavily through this episode because um, Jap, Hastings and Poirot begin the show by having a debate about the realism of violence in cinema. You might not like it, Poirot, but you can't ignore it. It's part of our lives, a window on the world. Babarik. I care not for this type of criminal, nor for the detectives of the United States who shoot first and ask the questions later. Ah, come on, Poirot, it's not all machine guns and mobsters. In fact, when it comes to criminal investigation, the FBI is second to none. Except for Scotland Yard, of course. And that's when Jack reveals, and this is where Jason comes in, that the the US (laughs) are actually sending over one of their agents on a temporary assignment in a spy case. Jason, first of all, watch as an American watching this intro uh, and hearing their discussion about how things are in the US, particularly with things like the mafia is a big theme within this one. How do you how does that resonate with you in your day to day life and experience as an American? <laughs> well, I, the 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 use of the Americans in this episode um, were cringy at best, at least as, a, <laughs> as an American. Very cringy. <laughs> I did. I did love Poirot's face. It, during the entire gunfight, it was it yes. was great. It was just I have a gift. Yeah, yeah, just flinching the whole time. Just like did not did not care for the the ultra violence. I would like to see him watch John Wick and see how he how he replied to that. <laughs> did with that. That would be good. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I imagine that uh, Hastings would love John Wick. Oh yes, yes. No, Hastings and Jap were cars. they were into it. They were they were, they, they were into the shoot 'em up. And I love the kid when they come out of the theater and the kid's like, you know, doing his, you know, like playing cops and robbers. That was fantastic. And yeah, when they start talking about the fact that they're going to have, you know, a, a, a G-man come over and, and help out uh, Jap, you know, you know, things are going to be interesting at that point. Mm. But I, I do love that the um, Poirot was asking like, oh, so the mafia is or the mafia is not coming to our shores, are they? <laughs> Which is interesting because, you know, Sicily and Italy are a lot closer to London than America. So you'd think that they might be there already and somebody might know about it. But um, it wouldn't be a, such a surprise. Not anymore because of Brexit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Jason also, come on, let's be honest, the mafia doesn't exist. That's what I learned from oh, this that's episode. Right. 
Did yes, you forget? There is no black hand. There is no brotherhood. No. Of course not. <laughs> so when we when we do when we do meet our G man, uh, Agent Bert, uh, I, I love that he's played by uh, William Hootkins, who has been around everywhere. Everywhere. If you look at his IMDb <laughs> credits, I mean, he was in Star Wars. He was in Indiana or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's been around. So when I saw him, I was just like, why is he so familiar? Oh, that's because he's been in everything. Mm, yeah. He Americans it up in this quite oh, a boy. bit. Oh, boy. Oh, does he pour it on thick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is a he is a, a hoot kin himself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mm. This will continue. Yeah, sorry, Jason. Oh. This is <laughs> he listens. He knows. <laughs> I've, I, I've listened to an episode or two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we first meet Agent Bert when we arrive at Scotland Yard because Jap uh, takes Poirot and Hastings to Scotland Yard to bemoan the fact that because of the American interest in a certain spy case that's going on, uh, Agent Bert has taken over pretty much every part of his life. His yes. life, at least. This uh, liaison transatlantique does not live up to its expectations. Basically, to use a technical term, it's a disaster. It's taken over my office, my secretary, and my car. It's meant to stake out the Italian embassy. Yeah, I love how he takes over his office, which is, you know, very much, okay, my show now. I'm here. You guys can take a back seat. <laughs> and Jap is, like, resigned to a broom closet. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part I found really unstereotypical American. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I know we're usually Sorry, so guys. cooperative and friendly and just Afghanistan. You tell us what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can't really talk in the UK either in that front, but yes. No, 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 no. Look at us throwing stones at a greenhouse right now. <laughs> and I have to maybe you can translate for us when Agent Burt is doing his I guess pep talk to the Bobbies, the very English Bobbies. It's all merit. It's all football and uh, kind of the language he says butts quite a bit, which I enjoyed, um, and other words. But uh, largely, what was he trying to say? Just get over there and watch the embassy. I think was what it translated to. So this dame thinks she's heading for the handoff. What she ain't thinking is federal agent Bert is playing for the home team. And with the FBI quarterbacking and you guys from Scotland Yard running interference, she ain't going to make five yards. Never mind the touchdown, right? Right. Let's move our butts. All right, lads. We'll reassemble at midday. The blue. Pretty much. Pretty much. He's like, you know, we're going to do some cop stuff now. We're gonna, we're gonna go get him. We're gonna have a stakeout. And you know, it's, it was very cliche. Everything that he did was extremely cliche, which was perfect. He played the part perfectly uh, because they're cliches for a reason. And I've, I've known I've known some old police detectives that were surprisingly exactly like this. You think that this is a caricature of a character and it is not. I've known guys that are just like this. They come into the room. They're like, I'm here. Everybody just take a break. We got this. You know, we're good. This is it. Um, even though you you're Scotland Yard and you've been doing this longer than we have been in existence, probably we're here. You can relax now. Um, Hastings echoed that sentiment in a very slight burn that he almost gave, but then corrected when Jap when he, they're talking about America and he's like, "Well, you know." Investigation. The FBI. Second of none. 
Except for Scotland Yard, of course. Apart from Scotland Yard, like he's always jabs. Like, sorry, 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 <laughs> Scotland Yard. So that sentiment is definitely echoed. Also, I think another burn comes pretty quickly from Agent Burt. He's not too keen on the idea of Poirot and Hastings being anywhere near his case, is he? Jab, I hope you're not so short of manpower. You're hiring a Seamus. What are they good for? Chasing lost dogs. This is a matter of international security we're dealing with here. I have no intention of hiring anyone, Bert. And if you must know, Mr. Poirot here has an outstanding reputation. Oh, a gumshoe of distinction. And I suppose Al Capone's running for president. Oh, no, he does not like the gumshoes. He didn't call him a gumshoe. He didn't call him a gumshoe. He called it, what did he call him? A Seamus? Seamus, yeah. Seamus. Seamus. Seamus? Seamus. Seamus. It's a Hammett word. Mm. <laughs> yes, not a fan of the private mm. dick, as it were. No, <laughs> even though he is a dick. Nice public dick. <laughs> mm. <laughs> different, different show. Different show. <laughs> um, but running parallel to all of this side of things, we we meet a young couple who we later find out are the Robinsons, and they're going to have a look at a flat that they found in the paper to rent. That is confusingly, shockingly cheap. Hence the clever name of this episode. It's a bit Ron Seal here. This can't be the place, surely. There must have been some kind of mistake. Camden Hill Gate. Well, for £80 a year, they must be subletting the boiler room. Five-room flat with all modern conveniences. Number six is on the first floor. Come on, James. They run into a woman who's just leaving the flat, actually, and she makes a comment that she's been up there and she's tried to rent the flat, but unfortunately got told to get out. So Mr. Robinson says to his wife, as they're about to get in the lift, well, let's not bother them. They've obviously rented it out. And she makes a very interesting comment. Perhaps you put the look of her. Anyway, they go upstairs. The door opens. They mention their name is Robinson and are instantly welcomed in. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yes, confusing. Kind of a clue right there as to uh, what's going on. It's like, Mm. that was a little too much. Mm. You know, just beat you over the head with that one. It's like, oh, you're you're who? Oh, oh, come on in, you know. Come on in, the flat's yours. Yeah. For like a five or a week. Yeah, not only is it incredibly cheap, it's been on the market for a very long time. So they've obviously, well, let's say, uh, very intriguing Mm. from the off. But uh, it seems like the Robinsons have got themselves the deal. They've got themselves a bargain. Mr. and Mrs. Robinson are now the proud owners of the cheap flat. Yeah, they're so chuffed with their brand new flat and co- chuffed but confused. Uh, and but they're, So they're at a party and who happens to be there? But of course, Hastings and Poirot. And they tell them about this incredible deal, which Hastings is surprisingly vocal on, basically quashing any of the mystery around this one. Like, for some reason, Hastings decides to be very assertive in this episode. But there are two things which are odd, you see. The flat had been advertised for some time. Well, strange when you consider how low the rent was. Well, you'd seen the advertisement before and didn't bother with it. We thought it was a hoax. Eventually, we only went out of curiosity. We thought as we were in the area. Precisely. That's just what everyone else thought. But why was that other woman turned away just before we called? And yet, we were welcomed with open arms. Aha, yes. Oh, come on, Arthur. How do you get out of that one? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? She must have gone to the wrong flat. You see, Captain Hastings can explain every mystery. And basically say, there's nothing weird here. Sorry, who? Do you mean Hastings or do you mean Arthur? I know! When they called him Arthur, I was so like, oh, that's, that's not it. That's confusing. It's, I quite like it. It was intimate. I felt it was very, mm. yeah, I like the intimacy that that created. 
but Mrs. Robinson, which obviously, you know, we could play the song there as well. But she points out two things that she thinks are still pretty weird and wrong about this whole thing, even though they have signed up to take the flat. So she's not that concerned, clearly. She said, to the point you said about it being advertised for a very long time, and why was that woman turned away? They really hammer those points home. You're right, Jason. They basically punch you in the face with it. That these are the only two things. They might as well put flashcards on the screen, haven't they? (laughs) (laughs) These are the things we should be concerned about right now. And later on, when we we do get to the, uh, the actual point where we figure out what's... Well, when... Poirot tells us exactly what's going on because <laughs> yes. you know it's that type of episode i i have i just remind me about that because there there are some things as as a fan of criminology and criminals that just are head scratchers with why why this flat was on the market for so long and why it was then picked up by the robinsons because there are some things here that as judge judy would say here in the states do not have the ring of truth <laughs> nope we're um, definitely into murky territory straight away. Not only do we have Americans uh, over here taking oh, over our, taking our jobs, yard. <laughs> <laughs> infiltrating our shows. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we also have this incredibly cheap flat that was on the market for a very long time and has obviously been seen by a ton of people who've all been kicked away until Mr. and Mrs. Robinson turn up at the door and suddenly it's theirs. So yes, that's where we are. I really like as well that Mr. and Mrs. Robinson are like, this is very suspicious and very, very dodgy sounding, but let's just take it anyway, because in this economy, who can turn down a cheap flat? You know, you've got to suck it up. I think everybody that enters into any kind of rental agreement um, has that feeling of this seems very dodgy. I don't like any of this, but, you know, needs must. It's five pounds less a month. (laughs) It may be haunted. Who cares? Haunting's good. We'll take the ghost. Black mold. As long as we get a discount. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, we have this framing device of uh, this this party and obviously the G-Men thing with the James Cagney because it's a very Americanized episode. I'm intrigued to ask, Jason, because I have not read the short story upon which this is based, but how how does the mystery sort of, you know, what's the ignition key for this one? Is, uh, is Poirot at a party when this is mentioned? Or Poirot is actually is not at the party, and there is no FBI mm. in the, in this. They, Interesting. Agent Burt was completely made up of whole cloth for the entire episode. And okay. the uh, the actual episode, or the, the story starts with Hastings at the party. That part is all the same. And he gives okay. the same he gives the same, uh, you know, basic deduction that uh, when Poirot's at the party kind of gives him a little knockdown. He's just like, yeah, yeah like a little mm-hmm. condescending. He's like, well, thank you very much, Mr. Detective, for your input. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. The, the same the next morning when he when he get, comes up, when Hastings has a different uh, take on it, he's like, oh, well, they obviously didn't read their agreement. And, and Poirot is also like, you know, the brain on look at the big brain on Brad over there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the uh, the the actual start of the story is the same. It, it it kind of goes along the same exact path, but there is no there is no Agent Burt, there is no Americans. But the the uh, the rest of the story seems to track pretty much along the same lines. Except it, the really interesting. Yes, mm. the the next morning when Hastings goes to Poirot's flat, uh, Hastings tells him about his interaction with the the Robinsons and all that, and that's when he's like, "Well, that doesn't sound right." Let me get on this. Mm. And that's mm. when that's when things start to kick off. Interesting. That really is interesting. So basically, the, the writers of this show have decided this whole American slant 
then yeah. and just created this whole well, okay. Yeah, you know what this episode would need? A mouthy American. Let's get one. That's... <laughs> let's, let's get some James Cagney clips in there as well. That's yeah. quite a choice, isn't it? Speaking of Agent Burt, we should probably talk a little bit more about the reason why he's over uh, ruining Jap's life for the foreseeable future in, the, in his office uh, and the case that he's involved with. As we mentioned earlier, it's a bit of a spy story, so uh, a fun one and slightly different for, to your usual kind of Agatha Christie. But it seems that some blueprints from the Navy have been stolen by a mysterious seductress slash femme fatale. It's all very spy kind of film noir isn't it, this one, uh, called mm. Carla Romero. And they believe that she's in the UK and she's trying to sell these blueprints. Six months ago, a minor clock stole the blueprints for a new submarine from the US Admiralty. There could be serious consequences if they fall into the wrong hands. It could be a catastrophe. The one thing in Duce Lacks is a strong navy. Exactly. And apparently, with half a dozen of these submarines, he could control the Mediterranean. The FBI's found out that a woman's got the blueprints and she's come to London to sell them. Now I remember. Was it not the Romero affair? La femme fatale who dared to double-cross the mafia, huh? Was she not at some point in her career a canary? A canary? Yes, that's right. A dance band singer. What Mr. Burke calls a chantoozie. Good grief. Really, Hastings, you must try to keep up with the modern idioms, huh? And she is here now? So while uh, Poirot and Hastings are getting the tour uh, of Jap's new office, the crew head off to go do their stakeout. So uh, Agent Burt takes the whole crew and is like, okay, let's go get them. So Poirot heads downstairs with Hastings to the records office to find out if there is anything nefarious about a couple with the last name of Robinson. And turns out that there's not. There's couple different things, a little squeaky clean. So he was just, you know, dotting his I's and crossing his T's to find out if the couple themselves were nefarious or if they were an innocent party to what's going on. And he finds out that they're just a standard couple named Robinson. And then from that point on, he's like, okay, well, let's try a different tack. And then he's he uh, ends up going to the actual flat itself and meeting with the estate agent to get a peek around. Because it's an intriguing little enigma for him, isn't it? Why has this flat been given to the Robinsons? Is it because of them, or is it because of the flat? So he decides that if it's not them, it must be the flat. So he goes to see Mr. Pole. <laughs> I also laugh at Mr. Pole every time his name is mentioned, because I'm 12. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, and we do get some lovely Art Deco flat. <gasps> Um, visuals here. Mod cons and everything. I was going to say, yes, mm. all, the, all, the, all the greatest the new best. mod cons. Two bar electric <laughs> fire. Ooh. Yep, this is the same kind of flat in the same building as the Robinsons. So Poirot walks around, they're basically the same blueprint for every flat, isn't it? Yeah. So he's walking around trying to work out if it's some kind of something to do with the building itself. And we do get this lovely little tour from Mr. Pole, including... <laughs> Everything modern, including a two-bar electric fire. Mm, it's good stuff. I think they're illegal in Britain right I now. think a lot of old ladies <laughs> were caught fire. <laughs> so many people died. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought when I saw it. I'm like, that looks dangerous. Mm. Mm, is it yeah. just like boxed it's in with all of this beautiful art deco, probably very flammable kind of plaster around yeah. it? Yeah, it's a wonder that building's still standing. Really? After six months? It probably of... isn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> makes me sad. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Poirot makes a very 
Well, as he's touring, he notices a small door, doesn't he? In uh, is it the kitchen? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and it's uh, it's for the dustbins. That's where you put the bins, and they're collected from the back stairwell. That's when he turns to Mister Pole and says. I will take this flat, uh, which surprises Hastings a great deal, because why does Pyro need another flat? Mm. And it's then as well, that when the, after the Poirot's agreed to take the flat, he's making a little bit of small talk with Mr. Pole. And he says, you know, <laughs> Mr. Pole says, great timing, Poirot, because, you know, this really good price. And Poirot casually drops in. Well, not as good as the old Robinsons got on their flat, eh? And he's like, oh, you know the Robinsons, do you? He's like, oh, yeah, they only just moved in, right? And that's when Mr. Pole uh, drops a bombshell of... <laughs> in fact, they have just moved in, is that not so? The Robins. In number six. They moved in six months ago. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You can't dun, dun, dun that moment enough, I'm afraid. <laughs> So this sets off this sets off Hastings to go do a little recon of, of his own to go talk to his friend who had the party to say, so where do you know the Robinsons from? And where, you know, how did you get to know them? What do they do? You know, that kind of thing. And that's where he finds out that, no, there's just an accidental meeting there between the, the three of them. So that now Hastings is like, hmm, maybe there is something going on here. And this is when we head back to the flat where we see Poirot getting ready to do, uh, what, did, what did he call it? It wasn't petty larceny, but uh, Tom, Fuller, what, 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 did, what did he call that again when he was getting ready to go break in? Yeah, I forget the words he used. But uh, my, can I also just say before we get into this brilliant section of uh, Poirot flexing his criminal muscles once again, uh, my favourite sick burn <laughs> of the episode uh, is when Hastings arrives at the flat and he says, Hastings, you're late. Oh, Henry, run in with the doorman. I thought he wasn't going to let me into the building. Really? Well, it seems there's been some foreign fellow hanging around asking questions about the Robinsons. It wasn't you, was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that line so much. That was a Brilliant. great one. <laughs> so, the plan, Adam, talk us through Poirot's genius plan for getting into that flat. He's going to enter the Robinsons' flat via the dustbin's door. <laughs> Which always works out well, as mm. we saw in the third floor flat, which, yeah. <laughs> which is very similar. He's in, got an MO, own, isn't he? He's up and down. Yeah, he really has, yeah. <laughs> he, only, he only ever rents a flat with a secret door in it. Good rule. So basically, what Poirot asks Hastings to do is to keep the Robinsons distracted <laughs> so that he can break into their flat from the, I don't know what you call it, the arse end door? <laughs> the stairwell. <laughs> yeah, the st- That's the, the American Let's just go with the stairwell. The that? <laughs> yeah. From the pooper shoot door. Uh, while, so he's going to keep them talking while Poirot does a little bit of housebreaking at the back because he needs to see inside that flat. The interesting thing here is that Poirot suits up. He has, he, you know, he's just going, he's going down one flight of stairs with a screwdriver, but he has like this whole array of burglary tools and a jumpsuit that he has to put on before he goes because he was, doesn't want to soil himself, I guess. Is that surprising anyone, though, Jason? No, Let's it's not. It's not. <laughs> Poirot has a specific yeah. housebreaking suit. Also, the fact you're calling it soiling himself when he's going through the arse back door or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Adam just calls it. That's very I'm fitting. just going with the theme. I'm going with Adam's theme here. That's all. You're fitting in well, Jason. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. You're doing all right. <laughs> Frankie's out. Uh, <laughs> <I'll> just- <laughs> 
I'm editing this episode. Bear in mind, Adam. So. <laughs> oh, anyway, it's just me and Jason on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> this is where also the um, the show uh, separates from the original story. In the original story, Poirot waited for everybody to leave. <laughs> go Whoa, break in. That's the opposite okay. of what he does. Exactly. So it was a Sunday. <laughs> they go out to church and then the housekeeper leaves and then they go in. So it's a, it's slightly right. different. It's, it, well, it's completely bass backwards to go. Yeah. Ah, they, <laughs> to the point where Hastings even calls it out and says, But Poirot, to the afternoon, they're bound to be at home. That is exactly what I'm hoping, Madame, because you are about to play the role of the friendly neighbor who just happens to be passing by. I want you to keep the young couple occupied while I perform my task. Wouldn't it be easier to wait until they go out? Hastings, these are things I have already considered. While they are out, the doorway it is is locked. So that's completely contrary to the your story. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's obviously done because they were trying to create a moment of comedy, and they succeed because. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank, you take it. No, no you. No, no because no, I just talk loads. No. Shut up. You take it. Take it. <laughs> I just described the plan. Fine. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, they definitely get People some get gold. <laughs> no, they don't. Where we get Hastings on prime, prime form for the ultimate distraction. And I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm trying to cause a distraction, I my go-to conversation starter is badger hair and different <laughs> types of brushes. Hastings. What brings you to this neck of the woods? You ask me, the natural curiosity of the private investigators prompted this visit? No, not at all. In fact, I had some business to attend to in the Brompton Road. When I remembered you were living nearby, I suddenly thought the Robinsons, of course, they're bound to know. Now, should I use badger hair, or will an ordinary brush do the trick? I'm sorry. It's so it's so brilliant because you see the look on the Robertsons' faces where they're trying so hard to be polite and nice. And they're like, What what are you talking about? What the what the f- are you talking about? And I think I think their their view their the look on their face was exactly probably the same as all of our faces too. Like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> this is what you went with. Okay. <laughs> of all the things he could have chosen, like, oh, just, I know you moved in recently. I thought it'd be nice to come and visit or anything like that. It was straight in with the badger hair, which is an interesting move. And meanwhile, Jason, talk us through what Poirot is doing in the kitchen in his jumpsuit. <laughs> well, he, he gets down the stairs, he creeps in and opens it up. And he, what he's trying to do is take out the screws and put in fake screws so he can come back later. You know, because why break in once when you can break in twice, obviously, you know. <laughs> Two for one. Yeah, exactly. But in the middle of this, Butterfingers with the big old booty <laughs> knocks over his tools. <laughs> and, and and Hastings at least has the wherewithal to jump into action and go, wait a minute, detective's prerogative. I'm going to the rescue. And yes. gets in there and, and sees a tool that uh, Poirot knocked on the floor, kicks it out of the way and goes, ah, the wind. You know, the wind must have done it. Classic wind. Yeah. <laughs> but they were already primed for ghosts, so he should have gone with ghosts. He really should have. That's more fun. Yeah. Wow. So. That's, that's the best breaking wind. <laughs> From Big Butts, or you said called him. He likes Big Butts. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so Hastings, with his quick thinking, has saved Poirot's butt. Poirot. It's a lot of butt chat today. <laughs> it really is. It's really hit a bum it's this note. American influence. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, Hastings, quick thinking. It's really great when he has these Thinks. moments. We saw it in the Cornish Mystery. <laughs> and <laughs> he comes up with these amazing moments that even outclass Poirot. And you go, oh, nice. Also, as, as they're leaving the flat, they, you know, they're on their way out and they're going through the courtyard. And Hastings, again, with the powers of observation, notices a guy who is just basically raking some leaves and goes, that looks like one of Jap's guys. And Poirot's like, well, it is, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Let's go talk to Jap, who is hidden in this truck, so perfectly placed in front of the Italian embassy, which is subtly done. You know, right, yes, very subtle and, and right next to the flat. So, you know, now we're learning more of the geography of how this is all playing out. They, you know, where the flat is, where the embassy is, and how this might play into each other at some point, because I think he's going to tell us what's going on in about six seconds. So, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. And also, one other thing to, to call out before we get into the van with Chap, because it's great. <laughs> this whole time, Poirot, as he's been renting the new flat and lurking around, he's been spotting this very moustached uh, Mario looking man outside <laughs> yes. the flat watching the building. He's very, very extra Italian. Uh, this guy mm. and he yeah he's he's clocked him a few times very again nobody people need to learn how to be subtle if they're going to spy on people in this episode uh, he's just basically stood outside the flat looking up at the window of the robinsons and poirot's seen him multiple times and as we find out he's uh he's going to see him again very shortly isn't he mm. very shortly and and his outfit is very spy versus spy he is yes. definitely <laughs> It's very hair flick from Allo Allo, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Italian. <laughs> hair flick. <laughs> yes. So they go and check out this uh, this little truck. It looks like a very small truck for what it's supposed to be. It's uh, O.L. Smith's Ironmongers. By the way, an Ironmonger would just be sitting out there. Uh, but So they knock on the door and Jap's like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Anyone need some iron? <laughs> got some in the back. <laughs> got some spare iron. We've also got a monger if you want that. Too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so this turns out to be the uh, the control center, the nerve center for the FBI's stakeout of the Italian embassy, waiting for Carla to come back and sell the plans. And uh, there's a little porthole where they can kind of stick their head out and see what's going on. But, you know, you see nowadays when they go into the van, you see all the TV monitors and people in, in you know, air on chairs that because apparently it's a TARDIS in most of these trucks nowadays because they show a little <laughs> tiny van they go inside and it's a giant control room and in here we just have Jap and Agent Burt kind of hanging out looking out the window waiting for something to happen and um, through the window we see our nefarious Italian stranger come by again uh, because he's been hanging around and this is the point where Burt's like Tells him, tells Poirot that we're just sitting here waiting for them to show up. And Poirot's like, you know, I'm just a private detective, but maybe you should try and find her. I don't know, maybe somewhere else in case, I don't know, she doesn't show up. And he's like, okay, good idea. <laughs> yeah. That kind of sets off the next, the next level of action. Well, action, I don't know if I would go that far <laughs> yet, but we do get to some action later. But that, that is, you know, it's kind of the setup. So we're tying the two stories together here with the Robinsons, the Italians, and the proximity of the two. Yes, yeah. and we learn a bit more about Carla Romero as well. I think maybe we should talk about her a little bit more because, as we said, she's a, a bit of a femme fatale. And it seems that not only did she, well, she's involved with the stealing of these blueprints and they believe she's going to be selling them, but they also think that she has ties to the mafia, as we said, which apparently does not exist, according to Agent Burt. Monsieur Burt, I understand that she has had some dealings with the mafia. 
when will you guys understand there is no such thing as the mafia or the black hand or the cosa nostra sure there's some immigrant families of mainly southern european extraction who push each other around but organized crime no so <laughs> they they discuss quite a bit about whether uh, she is in herself you know heavily involved with the mafia or not whether she's traveling alone or not they think she's got an accomplice with her as well uh, but Poirot, as you say, Poirot makes the point of maybe you should look for this woman. She's probably going to stand out quite a bit in our very, you know, dowdy English <laughs> little London part that we're in. So let's have a little look for her. And that inspires Poirot to get on the phone to the club. So Poirot is ringing nightclubs. <laughs> you find him in the club, body full of blood. Mind on what you need. <laughs> I'm amazed you know the words, Adam, <laughs> truly. Oh, that's the only words I know. That's, I'm too busy enjoying the music at that point. <laughs> So, yeah, he starts calling clubs because at some point, Agent Burt says that she's a shantuzi, which is another the, the, the most fun word that I've, I've learned in a long time. A shantuzi, I had to look it up, is a female singer of popular songs, especially in a nightclub. So <sighs> that that ticks off or ticks off, tips off, I should say, tips off Poirot on where to start looking. And that's when he starts making all the phone calls to all the clubs and everybody answers but one. So. He has to go go dig up where the, the one club is. But uh, Shantuzi is definitely one of the, the greatest words of all time. Let's bring that, that back in... into common parlance. Yeah. Lady Gaga. Many... Oh, yes, she would be a Shantuzi. <laughs> Shantuzi. <laughs> I think Adele has got a Shantuzi residency at the moment in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the club that doesn't answer is called the Black Cat. Um, so uh, they head on over there, and Elsa Hart is headlining, as uh, uh, Frankie's put here. The music gets not sexier. It really does um, get very wow, sexy. Wow. Oh, different kind of sexy. <laughs> well, no, it's all, it, all, it all goes the same way, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then Poirot hits the club, as you said. He hits the black cat and he meets with the manager there who is uh, the very, not at all suspicious, very normal-seeming <laughs> Bernie Cole. <laughs> who, yeah, he will not, he has an interesting relationship with his phone, I would say. He's picking it up, he's putting it straight down, and you hear people screaming at the other end <laughs> the whole time. So you get the impression <laughs> that perhaps Bernie Cole isn't the most scrupulous of nightclub owners. Who knew <laughs> that nightclub <laughs> owners could be unscrupulous? <laughs> My goodness. Yep. And I love that the when when they first go into the office, he's actually got a pillow over his phone yes. <laughs> to, to stop the ringing because it's ringing so much. It's like, isn't that your phone? Where? Oh, right there. Oh, well, I guess it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's at this moment, well, when he's chatting to Bernie Cole, that he says, oh, I see you've got Elsa Hart headlining. Uh, so she's American, right? Because I saw her in New York. Look at Poirot playing it all cool. Uh, and he says, oh, no, no, she's not American. She's Canadian. Uh, and turns out, I don't know if you guys knew this, and Jason, um, I'm sorry to break it to you, but apparently Americans out and Canadians are in. Oh, she's Canadian. Like those Dion quintuplets. It's going to be all the rage soon, Canada. We'll have Canadian this, Canadian that. Bernie Cole can always spot a trend known for it. So okay. everyone be Canadian from now on, because that's the hot, <laughs> the hot new trend that's sweeping the country. Ah, uh, the new hotness. I have to say a boot more. That's all. Exactly. <laughs> Maple syrup. Delicious. Uh, no, poutine. It's all about the poutine. I love poutine. Oh, oh it's mm. so good. So mm. bad for you, but so good. It's Explain so poutine. Do you know like poutine, is, Adam? Is, that like, is it like a gravy? Gravy with ch cheese curd on fries. Yep. What? 
Oh, yeah. So good. Well, mm-hmm. I've had it, but I can't bring it to mind. <laughs> you've <laughs> you obviously not had good <laughs> good poutine because once you've had good poutine, you can't forget it. <laughs> it's usually at the end of a very, should we say, libaceous night. Uh, yes. So, yeah, they do this these burgers with fries and poutine, and I just go wow, 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 <laughs> until it's gone. Mm. Yeah, um, I must try it in the in the cold light of morning. Anyway. Breakfast routine. <laughs> wow, what a tour. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, we, we find out about Ilsa and uh, her Canadian roots. And there's this, the next point is when Miss Lemon goes back in undercover as a journalist, which is kind of fun. I, I, I really enjoyed this next scene where oh, basically yeah. she goes in to interview her at the Black Cat for, uh, I can't remember the name of the women's magazine. Oh, it's the Lady's Companion. The Lady's Companion. That's it. What a, what a great name. <laughs> it's a great Penelope name. Penelope Maitland. Yes. <laughs> From the Ladies' Companion. You can't get more English than that, can you? Oh, and Miss Lemon <laughs> is on fine form in this, isn't she? She looks oh, when hot. Is she not? And she is, yeah, she is all, I totally believe it was a journalist. You can tell that Bernie Cole's quite a big fan when she rocks up. He mm-hmm. definitely wants a squeeze of lemon straight away. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, she she gets to go and speak to Elsa. Elsa, I'm using quotation mark, Elsa Hart. <laughs> because also we learned before this, right, that, well, Poirot posits, shall we say, to Hastings that Carla Romero is Elsa Hart. She's pretending to be Canadian. And he thinks that despite all of her precautions, which we're going to get in straight into the denouement if we're not too careful here. But despite mm, all of her precautions, well, it's really difficult with this one. There's no clear denouement kind of cutoff that we normally get because he's slowly mm. revealing details throughout the episode. That not not uh-huh. clues. They're kind of just flat out telling you what's happening. Yeah, that's that's the real interesting part about this. Is like there. Yeah, it's such a weird. I, I don't even want to call it a mystery that much no. because it's. Kind of not. It's just an unfolding story. There's no there's no suspense as it goes. It's just point by point by point. Yes. So. But he what it boils down to at this point is that Poirot gets very serious and he says, look. This is a plot of sinister dimensions. The Robinsons are to be the victims of a assassin. So this is why he's taking this so seriously at this point. And that's why Miss Lemon's got to go and be a lady's companion and get a scoop. Apparently, um, Elsa Hart has been touring the States for the last nine months with her husband and has song music that could only have been uh, obtained in America. So it's kind of her Canadian thing is crumbling, really. And Poirot says, Miss Lemon, I believe that the newest recruit of the ladies' companion has made a scoop. (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, um, he kind of lays it out quite early in this episode. Yes. Literally halfway through, basically, yeah. Yeah. I mean, do we do we say to people go away and solve it? There's not really anything you can solve, is there? I don't think so. Very old episode, isn't it? No. Yeah, I think we should just keep going. So basically, Poirot then breaks down what's happened with Carla Romero and these stolen blueprints. And there's a great flashback, isn't there? Mm. So, yeah. Right before the flashback, right after uh, the scoop, <laughs> we see the very serious scene with Hastings loading his gun because mm. they're getting ready to go protect the Robinsons, as Poirot says that she's, they're going to be uh, visited by a very nasty man very soon. But at this point, he's he, this is where he lays out exactly what happened to Hastings, and they do so in this flashback. And it's a beautiful flashback. They've, they've made little sets for it. It feels very film noir doesn't it? Very artistic. It does, yeah. It's very mise-en-scene. There's, um, yeah, uh, the production design on this is, is fantastic. And you can tell they've been inspired by you know, the Cagney movies. 
Yeah. I've really gone all out on it. I really like that. I really like that this one and the previous episode in Double Sin, we get some really weird flashbacks in it. We have the really Mm. strange kind of David Lynch style one with Lemons trying to find her keys. And the voices are different. Yeah. And we've got this really beautiful uh, 1930s gangster movie flashback scene. It's pretty cool. Mm. This series is quite Mm. good, isn't it? It's very inventive. Yeah. It's like they said, we can't just be mystery of the week. We have to try and elevate them. And give them some kind of art, artistic oeuvre, should we say. And uh, they succeed for the main part, don't mm. they? Yeah. Jason, what do you think of uh, the second season of Poirot compared to the first? Do you think they've upped their game in terms of production design? Because, I mean, the first season we had Third Floor Flat and a couple of, like, should we say, rather staid ones. But then we had, yeah. the, we also had Problem at Sea. So you had these wildly big budget Rose. episodes and these yeah. really small like rather static episodes but in this so far we've had veiled lady and peril at end house and everything seems to be sort of ramped up a bit more mm. yeah i'm sure that by season two they're getting their feet under them they're getting more popular getting more mm. they, they need to up their game to keep it going at this point and i really do like the production design in season two and i do i do really love this flashback scene i've, I've seen it three times mm. now and i just it's creative i think they get a lot more creative with the budget that they have to do yeah. what they can because honestly if you if you zoom out on the flashback it has the production quality of a high school musical because you can kind of <laughs> see the boards when they're going over the walls yeah. and everything and it's you know they're doing a lot with a little yeah. and I mean, I was even, I was really surprised on the doc scene in a little bit in the flashback. They actually, you know, still, they drive the car on the set. So it's not just a, you know, a little type of mm. thing. They, they, they definitely took over a whole soundstage and really kind of did it. But you can tell they did it on a budget. I was, I was going to say, if you're a fan of old movies, like obviously I am. Um, you'll see this a lot, especially in the Warner Brothers films, where, you know, it's obviously a soundstage and there's obviously a painting of a city in the background. And it's like they've said, let's do that for TV. And I really loved that they did that. You know, it's very Art Deco. The buildings mm-hmm. are kind of you know, all painted yeah. to, to, to seem as though they're towering above them. But then again, because it's a flashback and we're looking into someone's memory, it kind of makes sense to have that almost artificial mm. feel to it. You know, it's almost like when you look into your memory, you're seeing a, a twisted sort of skewed version of the past anyway. So. And Poirot makes the point later on that he's, he, de- he purposefully kind of delivers the story to Jap and Hastings because he knows they love these movies. So he's trying to make it dramatic mm. and make it fun for them. And that really ties yeah. into it's almost like he that, bre- yeah. when he's describing it, it yeah. turns into a movie version of yeah. what happened. It's very clever. It yeah, it definitely clever. ties back into the very beginning of the episode with the movie and it's, it all yeah. kind of comes mm. back together. There's a strong theme. Yeah, it really does. Plus, it, it's nice to see um, that kind of artistic representation of, I'm assuming it's like Manhattan or something in the in the background. Mm-hmm. And, and when you see, I don't know, art from the 20s and art deco from the 20s, it's all very stylized. And if you can imagine that, then, then you can see the the flashback when you see it you'll know what i mean but anyway so poirot breaks down through the flashback what has happened and what is about to happen well so it turns out that as we as we knew already carla romero stole the blueprints she persuaded a man called luigi valdarno these are my italian heritage there <laughs> she and her husband conspired to get him to steal the blueprints and then they were going to give them to the mafia to sell but then they decided they would probably just benefit from selling it themselves and cut the old mafia out, which is always a smart move. I don't know if you've seen that in films. It always works really well. So they decide to take the blueprints and travel to Europe to go and sell them. And they travel under the name Robinson. 
So that's where the Robinson connection comes from. They rent a flat, but then they find out that there's an assassin on their trail. So they, to hide from this, give the flat... This is this is now this is a plot hole for me, and I'll get your thoughts this, on this for me too. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, this is, for everyone, surely. This what is ridiculous. Is? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're being pursued by an assassin who could come any day now. They wait six months for someone, fingers crossed, to turn up and rent the flat under the name Robinson. Like they could yeah. have waited forever and mm. been brutally murdered in this time. <laughs> What? Yeah, this, that's exactly what I was talking about before. It's like, this makes no sense <laughs> no. whatsoever. It's like, I mean, I, a million monkeys typing a million words a minute could not <laughs> find a million, like two people named Robinson that are just going to randomly walk into my flat to rent it. Six months after I find the assassins coming to get me, this has to be a very slow assassin, uh, you know? To be fair, he is a bit rubbish, mm. but we can talk about him in a minute. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is bizarre, truly. I, I, yeah. Agatha Christie is a genius, but I don't know what this, I don't know where this this device, I don't know what planet this works. Can I just ask, Jason, are the circumstances the same in the short story? I was just getting ready to say, in the story, okay. the the lending agents keep sending people to the place, but they never find out th- that the original Robinsons had, had rented it because they're frustrated because nobody ever comes back and tells them if they've taken a place or not. That's why they keep sending people to the place. Oh, okay. the, but it's the agents because and the difference in price was so they got the flat for 80 pounds a year and the normal price uh, that Poirot found was 350 pounds. So that was the price differential in the in the original story. Right. But the point is, is that the that the estate agents keep sending people and they're frustrated that nobody's telling them that it's rented. So they don't know if it's been rented or not. So that that whole time frame is kind of thrown off a little bit. It still doesn't make any sense. Don't get but me it's wrong. Still the Robinson it is thing. still confusing. It is still the Robinson thing. It is exactly that. Agatha Christie. It's not the cleverest plot of hers, is it? It's, it's very, very perfect. I'm trying to hide from an assassin. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to w- <laughs> yeah. find someone with my, with my same name and I will <laughs> put the flat so low in rent that people keep coming. And I mean, God. Oh, it's bonkers. It's, it's a like- little bit. Keep the faith. Any day now, we're going to get a Robinson. I can feel it. I can feel it. Any day now, let's just bide our time. What was the backup plan? Truly, they were just going to be murdered. I just don't understand. Also, why didn't they, they just get they any just couple in there? But just no, leave. They don't even need a couple. They don't need a couple there. I guess maybe they wanted them to be assassinated, thinking that they'd got her. Right. But just put anyone in there. They're not going to go. Oh, hold on. Before I assassinate you, can I just check your name, please? Can I just check yeah. you are you are Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Robinson, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Bop, yeah. Bop. Oh, okay, yeah. I like. Yeah. I have to do my due diligence before I murder people. So thank you. Tick now. Bang bang. Yeah. It's it, madness. <laughs> See, this is why I I said I didn't understand it because I didn't realise this was the mystery. <laughs> yeah. I was like, and now we now we're talking about it. I'm like, oh my god, this was it. Yeah. Oh, no, you're I not. You're it. not wrong. This story no, is wrong. wrong. <laughs> Right, it, that's terrible, isn't it? Really? I mean, come on. It is mad. So yeah, there you have it. Um, Miss Carla Romero and her husband were posing as a couple called the Robinsons. They robbed the mafia. The mafia sent an assassin after them. So to escape the mafia, they spent six months trying to rent the <laughs> flat at a ridiculously low price to another couple called Robinson, so that they instead would be assassinated. That's the plot. That's if it. anyone Summed listening up. has a different understanding of this, if all three of us have missed something 
glaringly obvious that actually makes this make sense. Please, can you email us at bonjour at the labels of Hercule.com and tell us because I, it's just, I'm waiting for someone to go, no, that's not it. And go, no, oh, you missed okay. this vital thing. Yeah, but so far, I think if all three of us have come to the same, and he does, and he does spell it out very clearly that that's the reason. So, yeah, very strange. Very strange. No, incredible. But should we get down to some action to, to make up for this now? Yeah, do it. Please, please. <laughs> so we, we come back from the flashback, and Hastings and Poirot are getting ready to enter. Enter the enter the flat downstairs. They're uh, they got their they're gloved up, and uh, <laughs> the fake screws have worked. Poirot's plan with the the, the original break in has worked, so he can get in. They you know sneak into the flat and they pull out the coolest flashlights I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. These are the greatest flashlights. <laughs> it's basically flashlight. like a flash. Yeah, it's a like a flask with a little crystal on the top. It is very stylish. Very. I'm sure it's crap for trying to see in the dark, but they, they look great in the light. So they they take their position and they hear Luigi or whatever his name is trying to pick the lock. <laughs> Mario. Mario Luigi, <laughs> hey, the one. Uh, what? I, hey, it's me, a Wario. It's a me. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a me, the assassin. <laughs> I can't wait to kill the Robinson. <laughs> you are the Robinson. Do you have any ID? I need to check your name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he should use a, a pipe or something if he's going to stick with that thing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, Jason, carry on. <laughs> so this is where where it gets really strange because Poirot says, Hastings, give me your gun. Yes. Okay, let's have the army guy give the guy who can't even break into a kitchen properly the <laughs> firearm. <laughs> and this is this is another one of those Agatha, you, I don't know what the sauce you were on that day, but come on here. Well, they this do sets explain up a plot it later, later, but yeah, in yes. that moment, yeah. you're like what the hell? In that moment, like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. This is, it's, it's almost as big as a stretch as waiting for six months for another couple named Robinson <laughs> yeah. to show up, okay? <laughs> so we see Poirot take the gun. Hastings takes up his position behind the door for a surprise attack, and Poirot leaves the room. Then the assassin comes in, you know, he's picked the lock, successfully comes in, and then everybody attacks him because the, <laughs> the assassin has a knife. He's coming in to he's coming in to do some stabby stabs. So they attack him, but then the gun falls on the floor. The assassin now has a knife and a gun, <laughs> and then just runs away. He's just like, "I'm out of here, <laughs> Splitsville. I'm gone." And so it, there's some damage to the 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 flat when they're when they're struggling in the uh, the, side the ensuing table. melee. Yeah, the little the little cute little table with the pomegranates on top <laughs> takes a dive. <laughs> So they leave the flat. They're they're in hot pursuit. They go outside. And mm. this is where Poirot very vocally says, let's go find her. I know where to go. You know, I know <laughs> where Carla Romero is. <laughs> Let us yes. go to her. Post go to the black cat. <laughs> <laughs> Here the address is. <laughs> and it's then we notice that the assassin hasn't run away, has he? He's hiding behind a tree. Twice he's hidden behind a tree at this point. Sorry, it blows my mind. <laughs> Twice he's hidden behind a tree. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> they they teach him that in mafia school. He <laughs> <It> must do. <laughs> it's a tree, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is this is this next part's where kind of where the plan falls apart for me yet again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They get they take a cab to the black cat. As they get out of the black cat, the entirety of the front of the black cat is surrounded by policemen along with Agent Bert, and so. 
the plan here is to go in and get Carla. So they're going to go get her. Everybody's waiting. You know, they've tipped off Agent Bert that this is where she's at. We're all going to go get her. This will make more sense why this is stupid in a minute after <laughs> what happens inside the club happens inside the club. But so they go in, they go into the club. We see the club manager. He's like, anything to help the police officer? Come on in. <laughs> and so yeah. we're, we're all waiting for her to finish her song so they can they can pounce into action. Poirot meets Elsa Hart and explains everything. Suddenly the assassin pops up <laughs> and um, <laughs> Carla Romero is there confessing everything. And Agent Bert asks her to hand over the blueprints just as the assassin creeps into his position. Now, is he the worst assassin of all time? That is exactly what I wrote in my notes. I don't, he had <laughs> like a five minute window of looking through the doorway at her. Yeah. Prime shot. Clear shot. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not an expert at how to kill people, but I imagine that's quite good. <laughs> so you're looking through mm -hmm. a doorway. They don't know you're there either. So you've got the element of surprise. Yeah. You could kill her and get away before anyone even yeah. realises what's happening. And no one would know it was mm. you. It would be perfect. Yeah. So he, he waits there. Mm. But I can only put it down, and I can say this because I'm part Italian, I can only put it down to the fact that Italians love to put on a show and they want to bring some drama <laughs> to the proceedings <laughs> because he pushes open the door. <laughs> <laughs> reveals himself and explains why he's there to kill her. You thought you could kill Luigi and double-cross the Cosa Nostra? Well, he was a long sister. Now we're going to settle the score. Oh, this is good. Everybody's got a heater except the good guys. You're just going to stand there and let him shoot me? That's my gun. No, 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 my name I have no time for these so-called mobsters of America. I have seen enough of this shrub. One more move. It's good night. Mm -hmm. Now, Jason, I'm wondering whether you think this part doesn't work quite so well because the whole place <laughs> was surrounded by policemen. Yes. So how did he just go, excuse me, I'm supposed to be in there. Otherwise we got to no ending. <laughs> yeah, so the whole the whole point of them standing outside of the flat and saying, we're going to go get her at the Black Cat is so uh -huh. the assassin hears it and follows. So the assassin's mm -hmm. going to follow them to the Black Cat where there is a gaggle of policemen outside. And so mm. I don't know what Poirot was expecting him to do what apparently he expected him to do what he was going to do but any typical assassin would see a bunch of police officers and i don't know not go in yeah, yeah. i mean he waited six months to assassinate a couple surely <laughs> yeah. you can hang around for another hour I'll buy the time. Is, no it has to be at the day i'm sorry i got the appointment sorry right but the, the, right, so the whole point of this thing was to get the assassin there yeah just so they could get him, right? I mean, yeah. So they could arrest him. Yeah. But yeah. They, they knew he was trailing them anyway. They could have just like waited around the corner, waited to walk around, grab him, gone. Yeah. I mean, Carla Romero still, she still confessed everything anyway when he put it to her. So this whole bit is just like, Berries. really? <laughs> it's yeah, very well, frequently. We also, we also missed the part where. Jap takes Agent Bert's gun from him because Bert was going to go in, you know, with he had his he had his iron. He was ready to go. You Americans quite like guns, don't you? Uh, well, some of them do. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Jason. <laughs> He's carrying the burden of his whole nation. Answer for your country's sins. <laughs> I'm American and I'm Italian. I'm getting it from both sides of this. Oh. <laughs> 
Oj, oj, oj. It's a me at a podcast. Poirot was the only one that was privy to the plan of having the assassin follow him because uh, nobody else knew. You know, that was all yeah. in, that was all his machinations to have the assassin come. Most of the people were focused on getting the plans back. And so this all kind of hinges on a the gun that Poirot dropped was now we're going to find out unloaded because the, the assassin does finally decide to take the shot. Because he was not going to throw away shot. it. Yes. 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 <laughs> I'm going to shoot you now. Uh, I take my shot. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm not to throw it away. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> where we see this, where we see this beautiful shot of Poirot hold up the bullets and go, not at the day, assassin. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know what would make him think that. I don't know a, a trained assassin from the mafia who was coming in to, you know, he had a knife was coming in. Maybe would not know what the weight of a gun that didn't have any bullets in it would be. He was kind of banking on that. Mm. Or the fact that he probably would have had a gun himself. But mm. for the assassination, you use a knife so you don't wake the neighbors. But there are a lot he of moving thrown the knife there. even. Yeah. 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 And there were so many anything. little variables that couldn't. But, you know, we, we have to rely on the fact that this is a constructed story. So this assassin pops out. Tries to take a shot, click, click, click. Yeah. Uh, and in, you know, then we realize that the reason Poirot dropped the gun is because he'd unloaded the gun um, and wanted the assassin to take a shot. And, uh, yeah, it's really, it's one of those circumstantial. <laughs> it's pretty weak, yeah. isn't it? It's very creaky. It's weak source. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about this is just like. It's just a mind-numbing fuster clock of what was she thinking? <laughs> I can only think as well that maybe the mafia were like, we send a Mario, he is our worst assassin. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we just don't want him around for like six months, so we'll give him a really give, give him a year to pull this thing off and get him out. Go over head. there, take care of this business. <laughs> take, take her, your shiniest get trench coat, and go to England. <laughs> it's so... And like, he's the most conspicuous assassin because he's been clocked about 30 times by poirot they see him going in and out of the italian embassy all the time as well and i just yeah this oh it's so confusing <laughs> it's so confusing mm. he does not kill carla romero mm. he goes he gets arrested straight away i mean he could have been arrested before he even got into the building but no it's fine yeah and and agent burt still to the bitter end is saying there is no mafia <laughs> and even even there's a mafia guy in front of him saying i am the I'm, mafia. A from a, I'm from a from you know i'm here to, to shoot you here's some pasta <laughs> look know? at my cv <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, uh, Americans are stubborn, but come on, man. Mm. <laughs> Sticking to the party line. But at yeah. least, it, at least, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. This was just such a confusing mess, I think, all the mm. way through. Yeah. At least I'm not alone thinking that, you know. Mm -mm. It, it befuddled both of you, so good. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The thing is with Agatha Christie um, mysteries, they're, they're, they are, of course, outlandish because they are murder mysteries, but they're believable mm. this one is just it's like a really bad b movie yeah in terms of plotting i, I enjoy it don't get me wrong I, I i think it's a fun episode i like all the americanisms and yeah the, the jimmy game the flashback thing's great and i like the the rompiness of it i think it, it romps along quite well yeah. yeah it's got great guest stars like you say william hootkins samantha bond it's nice to see mm -hmm. faces start to appear yeah but um in terms of the mystery itself Jason, out of 10, I mean, this, we don't rate the episodes out of 10 because they're all so 
enjoyable. But we yes. rate the mysteries themselves. As, as a mystery itself, what would you rate this one out of 10? Well, there really wasn't much of a mystery, but I, I mean, mm. honestly, I would give it a three because there really wasn't much of one. I mean, mm. it, you almost want to give it a zero because it was just so out of left field because it was it's so different from the, you know, the typical formula. But I mean, mm. it was thoroughly enjoyable, but it was as far as a mystery goes, it was just a head scratcher for me. Mm. Frankie? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a two, I think, for me. I mean, even the fact, I mean, I know that's the whole kind of point of this story is why Poirot even cares that much about this flat. Like, Hastings is right. Why are you so bothered about it? And, you know, he gives that very good line of... Hastings, you do surprise me. I am well aware that this modest case has not the same dramatic appeal as the dealings of Monsieur Cagney and his G-men. Even so, it is a mystery and worthy of our attention. It's all a bit unconvincing, isn't it? And as you say, mm. the only real mystery, and it could, you know, it's an intriguing concept of there's a really cheap flat. These people got it for some reason. Why? That's an intriguing concept. And then it's just nothing. <laughs> the, the most insane explanation for it. So, yeah, I'm mm. thinking maybe like two to three, potentially. What about you, Adam? Um, yeah, I, I'll go straight down the middle so that we're nice and nice. I'll say 2.5. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so... It's really weird. It's like Agatha Christie gave the gave a pad and a pen to an estate agent and said, "You write a mystery." <laughs> <laughs> they went, "Whoa, I've got one about a cheap flat." Whoa, whoa, whoa. and uh, I Why like James so Cagney movies. So yeah, it's a bargain. Yeah, it's just absolutely terrible. <laughs> it's like you say, it's very intriguing setup. You go, Why yeah. is this flat so cheap? Is there something hidden there? Why did they need certain people there? And then all of a sudden you go, really? That's why? Oh my yeah. God, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, there's even that bit where Hastings is like... Maybe they're not as innocent as they seem. Suppose they're tied up in some shady import-export business. Drugs. White slavery. Hastings, you have the most fertile imagination. Yeah, that was mm. great. That was great. And it's yeah. nothing. It's nothing that exciting. Well, it is exciting, but it's that's not the reason why. It's way more mm. implausible than white slavers. I wanted it to be vampires for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I think that would have been way better. But it made more sense, potentially. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have made more sense. <laughs> Let's be honest. The fact that the chest flat is so cheap because they're trying to attract a couple called Robinson so that they can then take the bullet that the assassin has spent six months. I mean, God, it's so bad. The more isn't you it? think it's about so it, the worse it gets. The worse it gets, worse. In fact, yes. it's not yeah. a two point five. I'm sorry, that's too generous. It's going to have to be a one from me. I'm yeah, sorry, it's so bad. It's fair. I mean, the King of Clubs was terrible, but oh, at, at least it kind of hung together as a mystery this is just this is like she, this is like she woke up one morning hung over and got a call from a publisher saying by the way that story's supposed to be in today oh christ <laughs> maybe that's why when they made this they were like jesus christ really this is the mystery we better add an american or something because this is yeah, dry yeah let's try let's try yeah put that over there yeah yeah does it work better as a short story do you think or is it a touch too much do you think that the whole fbi thing and the I don't know the whole episode made more of it than it needed to be perhaps it works slightly better as a short story what did you think did you get the same kind of feeling when you read it I think they're both stinkers oh <laughs> pretty much it <laughs> you know nice. garbage in garbage out is is a term that we use in programming all the time and I think that they did the best that they could with what they were given and mm. they tried to punch it up a bit and you know it's like ah, let's work this into it 
And, uh, you know, William Hootkins was living in London. He lived in London most of his life. And I think maybe he had a friend at the BBC who maybe have gotten him the role. And they said, hey, let's let's uh, shoot him in there. I also don't know. I didn't look at the time frame because uh, this had to be kind of a contemporary of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So maybe he was hot off Razor, Raiders of the Lost Ark and they just mm. wanted to do a crossover to get him in. I, I'm not sure that I, that could just mm. be total conjecture, much like trying to find a couple named Robinson to take over <laughs> your flat after six months. Um, yeah, sound logic. So, yeah, I'm just making things up at this point. But, yeah, I think that uh, neither one of them are successful as a mystery, but as a story, they're fine. You know, they're fun. Mm. I do. Uh, my favorite thing at the episode, just real quick, is when at the very last scene is the pomegranates back on the, yeah. the table that was ruined and he just has to mm. put his little touch on it. Of course. <laughs> I know that they added Miss Lemon to this episode because she's not in the short story, is she? No, that's right. She's not. Yeah, no, and she plays not. quite a crucial role in this. I think they were giving the people what they, what they want there, which is more lemon. So we always want. Always, yeah, thank God yes. she was there because she was yeah a shining star in a very confusing pile of uh, pomegranates. It's a very confusing. <laughs> it's like a plate of spaghetti when it comes to plot. <laughs> I have to say it's not as hateful as King of Clubs, which no. for me is still. I'm it's, angry. Uh, it's unwatchable. <laughs> I, it makes me yeah. really angry. That episode. I can't yeah. stand it. So I don't hate it in that kind of way. But I do think what the yeah. hell. You know, it doesn't feel like an Agatha Christie one. It feels no. like, um, I don't know, a, 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 some kind of Agatha Christie knockoff. Yeah. Which is a bit of a shame. The but, you GPT know, version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, very good. <laughs> we do get the cute bit after he's he's put the pomegranate back in its place and then they kind of lightly tease Poirot about his breaking, breaking and entering skills when they go back to see uh, the <laughs> oh, Robinsons. Yes. And uh, it's all about the gloves. <laughs> Look at this. Now, there's a real professional's tool, if ever I saw one. Mm, very careless to leave it behind, if you ask me. Perhaps I should have it checked for fingerprints. You will find nothing, Chief Inspector. For the real professional, he wears the gloves. That was fantastic. Yeah, that little... What, what was that tool? Was it a, like a key, like a double-edged key? I still haven't figured yeah. out what that is, that tool is. Mm. I mean, I'm not a professional burglar, obviously, but... Yeah. Or you are, and you're downplaying it for so the police don't catch on. Uh, could be, could be. You, you know me. I hide behind the tree. I got the super key. Oh, they know. Oh, the hiding behind the tree thing. Oh, my God. Telling you, mafia move. Classic. What a ride. Jason, thank you for coming on this journey through the cheap flat with us because, wow. <laughs> what a, it's my what a pleasure. Journey. I would love to come back for an actual mystery sometime. Yeah, oh, please do. What a concept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of all the ones we landed on. Yeah. But, you know, I'm glad you came on because you definitely made it a lot more fun. Yes. And uh, it's very nice to have an American perspective on a show that is so American-centric. So. Something I've never <laughs> heard in my life. <laughs> oh, it's him, the Americans here. Oh, God. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. Oh, Jason, where can people follow you on social media and things? And where can they find your podcast? Give it another shout out. Uh, the podcast is Grumpy Old Geeks. You can find anything that I do at jason.fyi. Make it simple. Very smooth. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a blast. And uh, good to actually see you people in person, sort of in the <laughs> Zoom window, as it were. <laughs>
You too. Thank you so much for coming on, Jason. Thanks, and, Jason. Uh, real pleasure to meet you finally as well. So. Definitely. Yes. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> and Adam, what's our next episode? It is The Kidnapped Prime Minister. Oh. Which actually is a mystery as well. <laughs> oh, no. oh, how timely. Anyway. <laughs> if you hate prime ministers, you're in good company here. Oh, yes. <laughs> Most people do these days. Um, wow. What did you think of this episode? What did you think of the adventure of the cheap lad? Do you agree with our hideously low rating? <laughs> if so, or if not, just get in touch at bonjour at thelabourshofhercule.com or follow us on the socials. Perfect. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll be back soon, hopefully, with some sort of mystery for you to solve. And yeah, thanks again, Jason. <laughs> hopefully, we'll see you again very soon, too. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Au revoir. Au revoir. Jason, say au revoir. Au revoir. Oh, oh that's that, good. No, no, hang on. Au revoir. I tried to do an Italian au revoir. Au revoir. Ciao, Bella. Yeah. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelabourshercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis. Welcome to the future in this year's wireless super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call out the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Woods, Stephen Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily D. Chanel, Joe Biafra, Ari Fessenden, Nicole Olsen, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Rosalind Chow, Clancy Brown, Jarvis Smith, Ike Arnold, Steve Arquette, Thomas Miller, Jennifer and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. 